We don't lean backwards. We don't walk backwards. Our arms don't swing backwards. We were created by our God to move forward because that which is behind you is not as nearly important as that which is before you. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. This evil king, he had three parts to his evil plan. First, he wanted to enslave the adults of the Jewish population. And so he enslaved them politically. He enslaved them economically. He enslaved them socially. He enslaved them spiritually. You think you're going through a difficult time. Just think about that. Think about what it was like to be under that burden. But that wasn't the end of his plan. He planned to kill the Jewish babies when they were born. But you're going to see that that didn't work. So he determined to drown the newborn babies once they were born. He resented God's people. He rejected God's promises. He resisted God's plan. And this shows us what a world looks like when we push God aside. And that's why we must do whatever it takes, wherever we are, to shine with the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. When we push God aside, suspicion arises, hatred arises. We focus on the color of our skins. We lack trust in one another. Brother turns against brother and all hell breaks loose. But in the midst of this, God is on the move. Say that with me. Say God is on the move. God's raising up a mediator, a deliverer, one who would take his people out of the land of Egypt and set them free. Does this sound familiar? I hope you're seeing that God's telling a story from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. His plan is salvation of his people. His plan is to set us free. His plan is for you not to be in bondage, not to sit up under the burden and the yoke of slavery, but to find freedom in the son of God and Jesus Christ. One of the greatest truths I'm learning as I grow older with each passing day is the importance of trusting the providence and the sovereignty of God. I don't understand it because I very much believe that in his image, we are created with the freedom of will to make choices that can even hurt us. And yet I equally believe that God is a sovereign God who works in great providence. Remember what the providence of God is? It's the hand of God over the arc of history. It means that even when we don't see him, he's moving. Even when we don't feel him, he's moving. Even when we don't understand it, he's moving. Our God is on the move. He's got this. So the evil plot continues. Look at verse 15. This king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah. You don't like your name. Just be glad your name's not Puah. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, you shall let it live. The order is clear. When the baby is born, take their life immediately. This would really be a late term abortion. It's exactly what that is. But the midwives feared God. 
The midwives feared God. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You've got to decide at some point in your life who or what you're going to fear. Because you're going to live by the fear of man or you're going to live by the fear of God. You're going to live by the fear of what could happen to you or you're going to live by the fear of God. You're going to live in fear of the circumstances of this life or you're going to live by the fear of God. You've got to decide. Place here. <clears throat> they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. Now, this is not the point of our story, but I need you to see a couple of things. This is the first recorded act of civil disobedience in scripture. Sometimes you don't do what you're ordered to do if it goes against what God told you to do. Second thing I want you to see is God notices when you stand up for what's right. This is not a minor point in Exodus chapter 1. We don't know the name of the Pharaoh. Historians argue about that. We can guess at it, but we don't know his name. But we know the names of Shifra and Puah. You know why? Because they did what was right. Because it's always right to do what's right. And God notices when you do what's right. See, when you have the confidence of the providence of God, you gain the courage to obey the plans of God. And the courage of these two ladies emboldened the king. And so he ordered now that the Hebrew babies that were born be retrieved and thrown into the river. Now you're finally getting to the point where you're thinking, oh, they're about to tell me about Moses. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Look at Exodus chapter 2. God is on the move. Even as the enemy moves, even as our story moves, God is on the move. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket. Now, <laughs> you just got to know this. Would you believe there's only one other time in Scripture that that Hebrew word is used, that word for basket, you know when it's used? It's used to describe what Noah built, an ark. God's always on the move. God's always in the process of delivering his people. God's always in the business of bringing us through. So this basket was made of bulrushes and it was daubed with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done with him. Now the daughter of the Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent the servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying and she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then the sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother and Pharaoh's daughter and said to her, take away this child and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Do you see it? Coincidence, right? <laughs> no. Providence? 
Yes. The hand of God, even when you don't see him, even when you don't feel him, even when you think your life is crumbling before you, the hand of God over the arc of your history, because God is on the move. Say God is on the move. But the plot thickens. (laughs) One day Moses had grown up. Now, we know Moses has grown up because Exodus just tells us, but Exodus is not going to tell us much more than that. We learn from the book of Acts in the speech that the deacon Stephen gives before he's stoned that Moses was about 40 years old at this time. So he's come to that first phase of his life where he was raised in the palace. He was educated. He was likely a military leader a powerful person. Now, some historians speculate that this Pharaoh was Ramses. If it were, then he probably had 60 children. And so the reality is Moses would not be like second in line, but he would be very important. People would know when he would walk into the room, or in this case, when he would walk down the road. Notice what happens. He went out to the people and he looked on their burdens. He saw his people and he saw his burdens. People who are the children of God need to be concerned about the children of God. Even when we are different, even when we come from different backgrounds, this should be a place where we come together and we recognize that we are one. A deeply divided world desperately needs to see a united church. We must be one. And so it says that he saw his people and their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid, and he thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Again, some lessons here. Was Moses sincere? Yes, but he was self-centered. He was emotional rather than rational. And he was guided by the flesh rather than guided by the spirit or the hand of God. And when any of us put those three things in our lives, it's a recipe for disaster. When we're self-centered, when we're guided by emotion, and when we're walking in the flesh. And so this was a moment of great failure for Moses. For some, this would be the end of the story. But Moses learned some lessons we need to learn. Failure need not be final, and it is certainly not fatal. All of us here have failed. We've blown it. Some in more well-known ways. Some publicly some just deeply privately. 
And so even when we come to moments like these, we wonder if God will hear us. We wonder if God still cares. We wonder if we can go forward. And the answer is yes, we can. James Boyce says that God can teach us through the failure of our own plans that he's capable of working for us and in us in spite of us. Isn't that good? God is capable of working for us and in us in spite of us. Only after we fail do we become aware that God and not ourselves is the one who's working. I look at my greatest failures in life and I think, oh, if I had a time machine, I would certainly want to go back and undo my failures. I would want to undo the pain that my poor decisions have caused, but I would never trade what God has taught me and the man he's made me through those deep and dark failures of my life. Surely Moses was devastated by his failure to deliver God's people in the instant, but it was not God's timing, was it? God was still preparing him. He was still getting his education, just not in Egypt. So Moses enters the first of his wilderness wanderings. This time it's in the desert of Midian. He learns the importance of solitude and humble service. Just like Jesus, when he went away just to be with the father. And when he said, no master is ever as great as a servant. It was during this time that Moses learned something else you and I need to learn. When you're on God's clock, time is never wasted. When you're following his schedule, he makes the most of every moment. Moses was learning to be less so that he could be more for God's glory. He was learning to be obscure so that he could be obedient. He was learning that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. And we can hold on to this reality if we understand that God is on the move. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now... We continue with our message. So the writer of Hebrews gives us God's commentary on this season of Moses' life. So what did God think about what we've just read? Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. Did you hear that? By faith, because they saw this child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, did you see that? By faith. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to call the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Wait a second. I didn't read about Jesus back in this Exodus passage. 
And yes, unless I understand that from beginning to end, this is God's story. From beginning to end, God is telling me that there is coming a deliverer who is worth yielding your life to, who is worth being your passion, who is worth being the one who guides you. God tells us in Hebrews that Moses made that choice. It says again in verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Hebrews is teaching us what these first two chapters of Exodus want us to know. What was this about in Moses' life that helped him go forward, that helped him become the leader, that caused him to be a person mentioned over 700 times in scripture what was it it was faith that gave him his identity he discovered who he really wanted to be and that's something you and i must do who will we be what's going to be our guiding passion and i mentioned some of these before but let me just throw them out because they're deeply relevant Is it my politics? Is it the color of my skin? Is it my comfort or my preference in life? Will we be driven and guided and impassioned by the things that made us who we are? Or will we be devoted to the one who makes all things new? That's the question that determines our identity. Our only appropriate response to an intimate encounter with God is open defiance to who we used to be. That's what repentance is. It's turning away from the things that made me who I was and turning to the one who can make me who he wants me to be. And in order to do that, God uses the pain, the storms, and the trials of life to cause us to cling to him, to clarify our identity, and to create a better reflection of his glory. We've just got to decide, are we willing to become the new us he wants us to be? Or are we content to stay the old us made in the image of this world? Who are you going to be? Well, we've said God is on the move But what's interesting, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God's in the background. (laughs) Did you catch that? And that's the way he is sometimes in our lives. When we don't see him, when we don't feel him, when we don't understand, he's in the background moving us forward for our good and for his glory. And we have to decide, will we go forward in faith or will we stubbornly stay where we've always been? And Exodus 2 ends with a few words that I think will help us decide to move forward. Listen to the end of this chapter. Verse 24. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I want to give you four truths to help you move forward. Don't miss these. First of all, God hears you. 
God hears you. Just think about that a second. God hears you. The God who hears everybody hears you. Do you you realize how many people are gathered across this world, even right now, worshiping him on this day of Sabbath, and yet God hears us all? And when you cry out to him, whether it's in a public place like this or in the privacy of your prayer closet, God hears you. Your prayers, your groanings are not in vain. Secondly, God remembers his promises to you. He gives us the specific examples here, his covenant. He says with Abraham, if you're taking notes, if you want to know where those were, with Abraham, it was in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. He promised Abraham his people, and he promised him his land. And then he says Isaac, that's Genesis 17. And then he says Jacob, and that's Genesis 35, his covenant. You know what a covenant is? One definition is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always forever love. That's what God has for you. That's why in Hebrews it says he'll never leave you or never forsake you. He's the original promise keeper. If he told you he was going to do something, you can count on him to do it. He always remembers his promises to you. Thirdly, God sees you. (laughs) Aren't you thankful for that? You can't outrun the eyesight of God. The psalmist said, where could I go? (laughs) Nowhere. He sees you. He considers what you're going through. Listen to verse 30. Verse 15 of Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are toward their cry. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, however you feel about yourself, God sees you. But then listen to this. God knows what you need. There's many different ways this last word is translated. Some say he is concerned I love the New Living Translation. It says, he knew it was time to act. Now, just think about that when you're wondering if God is on the move. He knows what you need. He's concerned about you. And he knows when it's time to act. His timing is always perfect. So you feel like he's not there yet? Just trust him. You feel like you can't go forward? Just trust him. You don't see his hand. You don't understand. You don't know his plan. Just trust him because God is on the move. Will you trust him? There came another one like Moses who was born under the scrutiny of an evil king. A king who would seek to murder all the newborn baby boys. But this baby was born, and like Moses, he was delivered into safety. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. He's the only person that could ever do that. And by doing that, he was criticized even by the church folk. And in conjunction with the Romans, as a result of all of our sin, he died on a cross And then he rose from the grave. And in that act, he fulfilled the covenant. Remember, it's never ending. It's you can't stop it. It's an always there kind of love. And he restored 
what had been broken all the way back in the garden, that opportunity to walk in relationship with God. His name is Jesus. And when you live your life with Jesus, you will always know God is on the move. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.